G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. From what's been developing across the weekend to what is ahead on the political agenda this week. And Martin Isles, the National Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back with you. Uh, Martin, Just, I think one of the biggest things, I guess, worthy of comment over the weekend, of course, uh, the overhaul of Labor's senior ranks, and uh, Anthony Albanese has named his front bench. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the developments that have happened with the Labor Party over the weekend? Well, I think one of the key developments that we're seeing is in relate that interests me is uh, Labor showing that they have learned a thing or two from the election in some respects. Um, it's interesting to me that a lot of comments have come from senior Labor figures uh, in relation to religion uh, and in relation to issues uh, of faith uh, and even even abortion. Uh, actually was raised by two people, Susan Templeman from Macquarie uh, and also Ed Husick uh, in Shifley, both said that abortion was a sleeper issue in their electorate that caused swings against them. Chris Bowen came out on religious freedom and said that really hurt him. Uh, Shane Newman, who in a huge surprise had a massive swing against him in the electorate of Blair, uh, west of Brisbane. Uh, he was a shadow minister uh, and will continue to be one. Uh, he came out and said that um, religious freedom was a huge sleeper issue in his electorate. And the reason I mention all of that is that it seems that Labor are talking about the things that we had hoped they would be talking about following the election. ACL and indeed a coalition of groups were active in the field in some of these electorates, the crucial electorates like Chris Bowen's uh, and like the ones that eventually clinched the results of the government, Boothby, Chisholm and Bath and places like that. And we were active in the field informing Australian voters about these things. Uh, we were putting materials in letterboxes. We were making phone calls. Uh, we were knocking on doors, thousands and thousands of people. And it's really rewarding to see the message get through. Uh, it's rewarding to see people talking about this. It's rewarding to see doors suddenly opening. And we realise what happens, as I have been saying for some months now, what happens when Christians get active uh, and when people of faith stand on their feet and start to do things to support their political views. And that's exactly what we've seen. That's exactly what's happened. Uh, and, and one of the things that did happen over the weekend was the announcement of Labor's front bench. And I was very interested to see that this time around there is no shadow minister for equality. Uh, and there was before. Um, and uh, that is a change structurally to the way that they're presenting themselves in their senior ranks, which I can't help but think must have something to do with them trying to show that they've uh, heard the message on religious freedom. Because the truth is that particularly in Western Sydney and a number of these uh, religious communities, by overemphasizing LGBT issues and equality issues, uh, they, uh, religious people feel like they're being underemphasized effectively. 
because those two things are seen in competition. So uh, a really good outcome in that respect, and we await to see what happens next. Well, Martin, for a long time now, in conversations with you and others, we've been talking about the way the Labor Party appeared to have been hijacked by the LGBT agenda. Do you think that the lack of a Minister for Equality, a Shadow Minister for Equality, may actually be a turning point there where perhaps some, well, most of us might agree, some common sense is coming back to the Labor Party and they're sort of resisting this idea of being hijacked by a particular minority group? What are your thoughts? Well, it could be one of two things. It could be that they're genuinely doing that and they're genuinely starting, some leadership figures are starting to say, all right, time to turn around. Or it could be that they're presenting themselves in such a way that it looks less like they are doing that, which is sort of the political way that things are done. You know, you appear a certain way and you market yourself a certain way and you push a certain message, whether or not it really does reflect the very core of what you're thinking. Now, I think it must be more appearances than reality purely for this reason. That agenda is so deeply embedded into the Labor Party. It's been coming on for some years. Uh, and, you know, I know many of the people involved and how senior they are and how influential they are. And also we can't forget that they have actually just put together a redrafted national policy platform at the end of last year, which is valid for two years. That policy platform mentions LGBT issues hundreds of times in just 200 pages, uh, more than any other issue. Uh, even something like cost of living is only mentioned five times. Uh, so they have actually got themselves into a situation where their party platform itself binds them to a very, very radical LGBT agenda. So what we're seeing is the first fruits of a recognition that that could be a problem. What I would say is this, it's not over. Uh, you know, let's not, let's not jump on this too soon because the interests that exist in the Labor Party on this stuff uh, are still very strong. And I think that they've got a fairly long road ahead of them to turn the ship around. And it's a bit like turning around the Titanic. Once you've, once you've been going in a particular direction for long enough, you get a lot of inertia. And uh, I think it'll take them a little longer than the weekend uh, to to change things. So there are obviously a lot of issues that are at play. Uh, A new Labor front bench. Uh, Of course, uh, issues when we talk about uh, religious freedom. Uh, There is a certain sense in which the Labor Party is likely to try and win back Uh, as they call them, people of faith, uh, voters who have a a religious motivation. People, as we say, have their conscience shaped by their Christian worldview and and are in fact, uh, in some heartened way, uh, prepared to actually vote according to that Christian worldview. I wonder whether, if we were able to reflect on that for a few moments, because uh, is there a sense, Martin, that you're picking up that religious voters did in fact take note of their own Christian conscience when casting their vote in the election. Is there evidence to show that? Look, there is, and this is something that will be people will see if they're following the commentary closely. I think there's broad agreement that um, the two sectors of Australian the Australian community that really shifted the result of the election in such an unexpected way was firstly faith communities. That's why there were big swings in Western Sydney. That's why if you go down to Tasmania, you saw a swing to Labor uh, in the state as a whole. But, of course, um, um, uh, the two electorates in the north, uh, Bath and the one which I've just fallen out of my head, but the two electorates in the north swung radically to the Liberal Party and they picked them up because that's where the Christians live in Tasmania. That's the faith-based seat. 
Also in Queensland, it's the, the most Christian state in the country. Brisbane's the most Christian capital in the country. And you saw there that those seats were those high concentrations of Pentecostals, especially in Brisbane's east and south, but also high concentrations of faith communities, again, swung wildly towards the Liberal Party. There's other issues like Adani as well in the north of Queensland and stuff. But, but the agreement is that faith communities and also... Um, sort of what we'd call the quiet Australians, middle Australians who are politically disengaged, economically vulnerable, but getting on with life and working hard, that demographic as well swung towards the coalition. So the recognition that faith communities played a key role is very significant to me, and it means that uh, uh, there's a re-emergence in the political conversation of, of, of an idea that had disappeared since the Howard years, which is that the Christian constituency matters. Uh, and that parties can't ignore the Christian constituency. I have it on very good authority that there were discussions uh, in the ALP ranks early on um, that about uh, what they were going to do about the Christian community because there was somebody recognised within the ALP that their platform may alienate Christians. And the response back was, we don't need them. That's the, that's the quote. I've heard this on very reliable authority. And so it's really important that Christians actually stood up and said, well, actually, you do need us, and we do have a voice. And it's important because I think that by doing that, we can have an effect much like the salt in Matthew 5. We can actually have a preservative effect on the political environment by speaking up for truth. Uh, and that's important, that we draw them back to truth, that we draw them back to what's right, as much as we have the power to do so while we have the power to do so. So I'm very encouraged to see that that's happened. And I think that Christian people and people of faith around the country should be encouraged that politics is not a lost cause. Politics is not something over which we can have no influence. We certainly absolutely can. And this election has proven for the first time in some years that we do. Uh, oftentimes reflected in the lead-up to elections that someone's values are being uh, enforced uh, with an election and uh, when a government has a mandate, uh, there's someone's values being enforced. Why not Christian values? And there is a sense in which I can hear you reflecting that, you know, Christians, if we want to be walked over, uh, just don't vote according to your Christian conscience. But if you actually do seriously hold to those Christian values, vote according to your Christian conscience, because if everyone does that, it makes a huge difference to the way the outcomes even happen for whole elections. Well, exactly. And um, look, I would say not just uh, voting for your own Christian conscience in your own interest, as if, you know, you, you, one of the ways we start thinking about these things from time to time is that, you know, all these interest groups in society are sort of clamoring for their own way and their own their own interests. And, and that's why they, they stand up and have a voice. I think for Christians, we actually know what's best for society. We, we know what God has said is right and good and best for our neighbors. And, and so when we vote as Christians, there's a difference. We're voting for our neighbors. Uh, and, uh, you know, our neighbors will get walked over as well, whether they know it or not, if our voice uh, is extinguished in the community because we can stand up for what is right for all people. And of course, uh, just uh, well, we're talking about the sorts of issues that still might be at play. Uh, of course, uh, Martin, uh, religious freedom is going to be back on the agenda, uh, likely to be early on when Parliament returns. Uh, so things like Israel Folau, uh, other issues like this, they're going to still be bubbling along, aren't they? Because uh, if Israel Folau takes this a step further and pursues uh, any sort of legal avenues, uh, this is still going to be an issue in play when the, when, when the Parliament returns. 
Yeah, definitely. So this is another good thing that's happening. And uh, some MPs and senators in the coalition ranks have come out and said that they want to introduce something they're calling Falau's Law, uh, which is a religious freedom law to say that uh, essentially somebody's faith can have no bearing on their employment uh, prospects. Uh, now, I won't go into the detail of that now, except to say uh, that it looks like the conversation will continue, that that flame will continue to be fanned. It certainly seems like Israel Folau will appeal to the Supreme Court, so his case will continue on. As long as it continues on, opportunities like this will present to keep religious freedom in the public frame. Uh, and that's very, very helpful because just like we only got the election result we got because a lot of people stood up and did the right thing, we're only going to get good religious freedom protections if a lot of people stand up and do the right thing again. Because uh, the, the odds stacked against the Prime Minister on trying to get something good through Parliament are very, very high. Uh, and unless he has the support of the people, unless he has a constituency that's egging him on and saying, we've got your back, we're supporting you, unless he sees those people that got him over the line in the election willing to continue to push, uh, then he won't have the confidence or indeed he won't even have the ability uh, to get some good religious freedom laws through because there's forces posed even with his own, within his own party. So I'd say to people, as campaigns roll out from groups like HCL over the coming months, uh, as petitions go up and as opportunities for action increase, take them, take them, take them. Keep pushing. We can't give up because religious freedom matters because at the end of the day for Christians, it's the freedom for the gospel. Uh, we're out there preaching, teaching, speaking and living the truth. We just want the freedom to do that. It matters for our society. So take those opportunities as they come. One of those campaigns you have had running, Martin Isles, uh, this idea of writing a letter of support for Israel Folau. I note that uh, mm. something like 45,000 people have signed that. Uh, I imagine it's not too late to sign something like that. Uh, so he's getting an update every now and then on just how many Aussies are uh, right behind him? Yep, absolutely. So there's a, there's a letter if you're a Christian and you want to stand with Israel and say that you're praying for him and you support him, you just go to acl.org.au and there's a link at the top, I stand with Israel, uh, and you can sign it. And yes, uh, Israel is getting every single one of those names. Uh, and Indeed, we'll get a full copy of the letter with all the names annexed uh, in hard form very soon. Uh, and so get on there while you can. But also, we're about to launch a petition to this parliament, this new parliament that's just been established, uh, asking them to please pass religious freedom laws which protect religious freedom in a very fulsome and complete way. Uh, that petition is going to come out very soon. And it's not just a petition, but it also will contain a lot of information for people. Because I think when a lot of people hear the word, the phrase religious freedom, it gets all a bit fuzzy, it's a bit abstract. Well, we're going to put in uh, the petition information exactly what we mean. Some real case studies from around Australia of people like Israel Folau and how they've suffered and what we're asking the government to do to fix those problems. Uh, so it should be both educative but also uh, impactful if, if, if a lot of people sign that. That's coming out in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for the next round. And, uh, Martin, uh, very quickly, uh, a short uh, comment from you too because uh, we've just had a, a wonderful appeal, our uh, middle-of-the-year vision-a-thon here, and uh, the numbers are still continuing to rise, uh, not quite at the goal that we had set yet, but getting uh, a little closer as, as time goes on. I know that the Australian Christian Lobby also has an end-of-financial-year appeal that's happening at the moment, and uh, there are a lot of supporters, uh, part of ACL. Uh, what are your thoughts for, uh, for the, the needs that you might have uh, coming up to the end of this financial year? Well, the need's always strong, Neil. I mean, uh, you know, look at the work that organisations like ACL and Vision do, and they only exist because generous Australians step forward 
uh, and invest and put money into into these ministries. Uh, I'd say from ACL's point of view, uh, what we're doing is so vital just by what we've been talking about with a federal election. I mean, if we weren't active in those crucial seats right to the end, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, and uh, also we wouldn't be actually knocking on the door of the Prime Minister and having it fly open because we can walk in because they can see that this constituency, this Christian community really made a difference. Um, but, you know, I say to people, uh, the work of a group like Vision Radio is is <laughs> every bit as important. And uh, I've been really grateful to Vision for uh, helping ACL and being p- partners uh, in everything that we've done and being able to give updates uh, every week and always so supportive. Uh, but also Vision is um, one of those radio stations that's intrinsically Christian uh, and it is a truly Christian voice. Scripture is proclaimed, the gospel is spoken, um, good programming, and it goes into homes right across the country. And one of the great things about the Word and the truth is that you never know what fruit they yield once they get into all the nooks and crannies around the country. So I'd say to people, go and donate to Vision, get your guys up to your goal, and then come and donate to ACL after that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to gazump your campaign, Neil. (laughs) No, no, no. And and I didn't want to miss the opportunity to say that uh, there are so many Christian groups at this time of year who actually do have a campaign, and uh, no doubt they'll be heartened by the idea that there's been a tremendous response to Visionathon. Uh, People have responded well. It's not like Christians are sitting there and saying, this is time to hoard to ourselves uh, some of those blessings that God has given. And so if there's a little opportunity here to continue the giving to Visionathon to reach our goal, but also, as uh, Martin says, uh, the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, they have an end-of-year campaign going too and so uh, as martin says as you make a donation division perhaps uh you know let's go to the acl website and make a donation there too martin isles just always enjoy getting this catch-up it's so vitally valuable uh, for listeners as they're wanting to know what context is happening where the christian community sits in the political agenda of the day and really appreciate you very much, acl.org.au. Uh, sign the letter of support for Israel Folau and uh, make your donation for the ACL campaign as well. Martin, thanks for joining us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always my pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.